Hello, my name is Samuel George London. Happy New Year and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to my new favourite novelist and super cool dude, Scott Mayer, about what comics he would take into an artificially intelligent robot takeover apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, the Comic Scene Comic Club. Available from just £5 a month or £30 a year, you can get monthly issues of the History of Comics, Shift, Brawler and specials of Pat Mills' Space Warp. To find out more and subscribe to the Comic Club, visit comicscene.org. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Scott Meyer. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Thanks for having me. Oh, Scott, it's an absolute pleasure. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. And plus being the first guest of 2022 as well. So um, thank you so much. But um, just whilst I'm kind of very excited and like I'm being like a, a little boy again speak, <laughs> speak, speak, speaking to somebody that i admire um oh. tell tell the folks who are listening all the listeners uh, what you do in the world of comics well first i should point out that you say you admire me but you've in fact never met me so <laughs> so no, no, hopefully no. i don't do anything I'm to fine. ruin it while we're talking here um <laughs> Uh, as far as my connection to the world of comics, I used to have a web comic called Basic Instructions that uh, that a couple of the uh, the books back when books of comics were a viable option uh, were published by Dark Horse, which uh, I still don't know how that happened, uh, but uh, it's <laughs> it's one of my few claims to fame. But other than that, I uh, now these days I write novels. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the the novel that I uh, discovered, discovering you, um, was the Magic 2.0 series. Um, now, I'm on the last book, ah. The Vex Generation. I literally today finished, um, sorry, I've forgotten the title of no. your fifth book. Um, oh, it's going to come to me. <laughs> I am turning around to look at all the covers of my books behind me. Out of spite, out of mind. Out of spite, out of mind, absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, So, uh, yes. Uh, So I literally finished that today, and I'm going to be moving on to the Vex Generation um, tomorrow. Uh, It's a fantastic series. I recommend everybody go read it or listen to it. I listen to it. I'm a big um, audiobook fan, and the the, um, voice... over Luke Daniels Daniels is brilliant on it the number of voices that he's that he's had to do is amazing but obviously that stems from your authorship of these fantastic books and it's it's absolutely fantastic so uh yeah I before we get into into the meat of (laughs) uh of the podcast I'd just love to find out about how how did that how did magic 2.0 come to you and how did it come to fruition um, one quick note on Luke Daniels is actually, uh, in fight and flight, the fourth book, I actually created yeah. three characters with thick Scottish accents just to try to yes. screw him up. And, yeah. and it's still, <laughs> he still was able to knock it out of the park. Um, sure did. I, uh, I had always wanted to write a novel. I'd always thought writing a novel was something I would do someday. 
And uh, I had uh, read an article in Wired Magazine, of all things, about how uh, it was a perfect time to self-publish if you could market it. It was mm. it was like the easiest time in history to write a book, get the book edited, and make the book available for sale to everyone in the world. The problem was getting people in the world to know that the book existed and that that was a problem everyone was having. And I looked yeah. and I realized I had a webcomic going that I was getting 5,000 uniques a day. And I could, I could just you know, price the book very inexpensively, tell them, hey, instead of buying half of a latte today, buy this book and you'll be doing me a favor. Nice. And I could maybe get some, <laughs> uh, some, uh, some critical traction that way. So I had that thought already percolating away. And then I was thinking about the idea that we live in a computer uh, generated reality, which is something I've actually thought about off and on for decades. And I was thinking uh, that uh, the the idea occurred to me that someone who got into uh, trouble, well, first of all, it occurred to me that someone who found a way of editing their file, because if that's true, we're all nothing but spreadsheets. We're nothing but a long series of uh, specific variables that have been recorded somewhere. And if they could edit that, they could change all sorts of things including when they existed. So that thought occurred to me and that went on the back burner. And then I don't know how well you remember the first book, but I got this idea for a time travel, uh, a joke in a time travel story where someone keeps coming to a specific point in time, going back to somewhere, living like a year, then coming back one second later. And how, how to the people who are there when he keeps coming back, it would look like he went completely insane. And I was thinking about thinking <laughs> about that and thinking, I don't, don't know why anyone who's ever written a time travel story has never done this bit. Cause it seems so obvious. And then I thought, well, wait a second. I could be the one who does that. Cause I've always wanted to write a book and it's the easier. And you know, all of the ideas sort of, it was like a Reese's peanut butter cup. I got my own chocolate in my own peanut butter. And uh, <laughs> that's how I ended up sitting down to write my first novel. Oh, fantastic! Um, and uh, you've you've weaved quite a story um, with all of the time travel that's involved and everything, um, which must have been a massive headache. But how, how 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 did you actually plan that? Did you go full on corkboard with string and pins and everything? <laughs> the crazy person corkboard with the yeah, red right. yarn and the no, exactly. I uh, I used long OneNote files. Uh, these these yeah. I I referred to them as outlines, but really, th they look like some sort of manifesto. They look completely insane. Right. In in fact, after <laughs> I uh, after I had written the first book, one of my test readers asked, "How did you do this?" And I said, "Well, let me show you my my uh, my outline." And I pulled it up on my phone, and that was the first time I realized, "Oh wait, this is a crazy person outline." This makes no sense to anybody because it's all, it's all like one word descriptions of, you know, yeah. you know, Martin in the bar, Saran wrap question mark, you know, <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great scene, by the way. We won't go into detail, but that is a great scene. Like, I will the, tell you book, that. Uh, so. I will tell you that after the book got published about two months later, uh, someone just emailed me and said, well, what did Martin do with the cardboard that came with that saran wrap? 
How dare you? How dare <laughs> you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a great story about Orson Welles that he was right. uh, eating at a restaurant and the, uh, the waiter comes up and says, I've had, I have a question I've always wanted to ask you. And Citizen Kane, Kane drops the snow globe. It breaks. He says, Rosebud. And then the nurse comes in and finds him dead. And they spend the rest of the movie trying to figure out what Rosebud meant. And Wells says, yes. And the waiter says, who heard him say Rosebud? Because he was alone in that room. The nurse had to come in. And Orson Welles stood up, put his hand on the waiter's shoulder, then squeezed super hard and said, don't you ever tell anybody about this. <laughs> I'll say it's <laughs> amazing. Oh, but th- th- thankfully that story's out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we all now know the, the exactly. massive plot hole in Citizen Kane. Um, brilliant. Um, well, Scott, um, it's... As I say, it's it's fantastic to, to to have you on the podcast. But for all the listeners that haven't come across you just yet, where can they find you online? Uh, my primary website is scottmeyer.rocks. So that's S-C-O-T-T-M-E-Y-E-R dot R-O-C-K-S. And that's where you can uh, you can find out about uh, all my novels. There's a link to my old webcomic, which is still I'm posting reruns with commentaries at the moment. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can find out what I'm up to. Fantastic. And then, yeah, follow you on uh, Facebook and Twitter and, (laughs) and the like as well. Um, fantastic. Uh, now all of that aside, Scott, Mm -hmm. I got some bad news. Um, and, and this year is the year is the rise of the robots. I'm afraid Elon Musk has come up with some crazy project and it's gone haywire unfortunately um and an artificially intelligent robot has decided to take over society um so my first question for you is what is your action plan for survival well first of all first of all i just want to say that we always assume that when the super intelligent ai comes up that the first thing it's going to want to do is get rid of us and that that just speaks to low self-esteem you yeah. know, that, that oh, right. that's just us not liking ourselves <laughs> and assuming, well, if they're smart, they're not going to want us around. I, I think there's a very good chance that we could be kept around as pets, uh, some sort of some sort of beast of burden. I, I think the robots might find a use for us. Um, but also, when it comes to all apocalyptic scenarios, my uh, my approach is going to be a little different. Because if you look back at my career, I mean, even before I was a web cartoonist, I worked in the theme park industry, and then I was a stand-up comedian before that. So I am completely ornamental. I am, <laughs> I am not necessary to this society. I would be dead weight. So, so really, while everyone else is driving away from the disaster, I'm going to be the in the one car driving towards it, just trying to uh, trying to help society out by removing myself from the gene pool. So I would I would probably greet our robot overlords with a with a suit with a bullseyes painted all over it and just start saying insulting things about about them. That that's my plan. Seriously, lead into it. And <laughs> that's you know right. what? You, your your plan totally pays off, and <laughs> you are literally taken to the robot leader. Yeah, right. Um, I can and, and, and yeah, you totally confuse them. You took them. You, you threw them a curveball. And, you know, they don't know what to do. Um, yeah. But they decided they're going to take you 
to the the, the head robot, mm. um, and they're going to ask you, and they want to interrogate you about human society, um, and they interrogate you about all sorts of things. Uh, yeah. um, but finally, finally, <laughs> they get onto the subject of comics after weeks <laughs> and weeks and weeks of all the of everything else. Um, and uh, the first question um, that the algorithm came up with uh, was, "What's the first comic you remember enjoying?" Uh, the first comic I remember enjoying was, um, well, you see, you say enjoying. Uh, the first comics I remember ever seeing and reading is uh, some of my uh, mm. older cousins. Uh, when they grew up, they left behind big stacks of like Richie Rich and Little Devil. And even at like six years old, I, I would just read those and just think, someone thinks this is funny? Uh, not to not to insult anyone out there who likes their little rich or little Lulu comics, but it, it just wasn't my bag. The first one I truly remember enjoying is uh, my uh, my mom got me and my brothers one subscription to a comic book uh, every year, and the first year I got to pick uh, got Star Wars, uh, Marvel's original run of Star Wars, and really at right. that point I just loved anything. That had Star. You could have written Star Wars on the side of any any object, and For I would have sure. run around. I probably took the comic book and ran around like it was a spaceship. That's uh, that's the level Damn. of sophistication I had. But yeah, I actually <laughs> I read the Star Wars comic for eight months before I ever saw the movie. So my wow. first impression of Star Wars was reading the comic book. Luckily, that was before the talking rabbit showed up. <laughs> Yeah, but that, that's that's fantastic. Um, so was it that did the, the movie must have come out first before they even entertained oh, yeah. the comics? Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. And so you would have watched it on VHS or something. Well, no, no. I am I am old enough that the movie was out in theaters, but I grew up out in the middle of right. uh, of nowhere. I grew up in a very small town, and the oh, nearest okay. movie theater literally you would have to go to the freeway, then drive over an hour in one direction or another and you could get to a movie theater and it just it, yeah. it wasn't a priority for my parents they were uh no. they were both farmers and uh, uh products of the great depression and uh, if there was a movie we wanted to see for the most part it was it'll be on tv someday so yeah uh, but yeah. i did eventually I'm get to saying Star that Wars. to kids these days oh <laughs> <laughs> well first of all they 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 would have downloaded the movie already they would yeah, they right. have a, uh, yeah. a bootleg that someone recorded off of their phone. So, yeah. But they, like, they oh kids, they, they, they have no idea what life before the internet was like. And I hope they never do find out because, yeah, oh, the internet. <laughs> I, I am, I am one person who thinks the internet has been by far a net positive. Some people think it is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, it's got its negatives. Sure. But, absolutely you know anyone who's a, ever it's a, had it's an amazing tool <laughs> yes anyone who's ever put anything out there that has comments attached to it knows it's got its downside but, <laughs> but uh, it is it is a net positive definitely fantastic um so yeah now you just when you were young um were you into story making um, uh, or were you more of a avid reader uh i was i was I wouldn't say an avid reader. I read more than the average kid around uh, around that vicinity. Uh, I was very much into story making, um, but not formally, which means basically I was a pathological liar. 
I, uh, nice. <laughs> I was, I was very creative and sadly that creativity yeah. got attached to what were supposed to be true stories at times. But, uh, but I grew out of that eventually, but, yeah, uh, sure. but yeah, I, I, I had a very fanciful imagination and, you know, I, I couldn't just build something out of Legos. I'd have to build something, then come up in my mind with a story about what it was and how it operated and who was Great. in charge of it. And yeah, that That's kind fantastic. of thing. That's great. Um, and then, yeah, for, so basic instructions was really kind of like your first, like professional, um, output really would you say well well i did make my living as a stand up comedian for nearly 10 years yes yeah but, yeah, uh, yeah of course yeah yeah but yeah. i have stricken all of, record yeah. of that from uh, i have destroyed all the evidence <laughs> from those days <laughs> brilliant we're going to find a youtube video i'm going to find uh, one no you will not surely there's one out there <laughs> <laughs> i really i am not i i believe there is one videotape left of me performing really? And I have, uh, I am guarding it jealously. I'd love to see that. I'd love it's, to it's, see that. It's, you know, people would love to see the day the crown, the clown cried too, but Jerry Lewis isn't <laughs> allowing it. Fair <laughs> play, fair play. Fantastic. But yeah, uh, basic instructions got a lot more yeah. traction than my stand up comedy uh, career ever did. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where the passion for story making really began. I mean, obviously, you're standing, telling stories in stand-up, of yeah. course. Yeah, um, I actually was uh, more on the story end of things in stand-up, but uh, right, but I, yeah. really, like I said, I was always, I was always coming up with. I've always had the urge to come up with things and share them with people, um, yeah. which can make me a really pain, a, a real pain in the neck to be around because I'm constantly coming up <laughs> with things and hey, hey, everyone, listen to this, and half the time <laughs> it's nothing, but <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But then uh, what basic instructions did for me actually was it uh, it taught me that I can actually do it on command to a schedule because when it came to writing stand up, I, I always insisted, no, man, it has to be natural and organic. I have to wait for an idea to occur to me because I'm lazy, yeah. you see, but uh, <laughs> but basic instructions forced me to actually sit down and concentrate until I came up with something. And that was where I learned that I could. That's fantastic. Yeah. And as uh, Stephen King says, you know, learn to close the door and, uh, you know, really get to work. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, fantastic. Um, now, um, going back to your conversation with our new robot overlord, <laughs> yes. um, and, and, and they ask, what's the funniest comic or most laugh out loud moment in a comic that you've read? Um, as far as, I mean, I've read a few funny comics. I really liked the original run of the tick. Um, I remember reading what the, when I was a kid. Um, but mm -hmm. as far as the comic that gave me the most laughs, even though I, I haven't looked at one in years, it would have to be grew the wanderer by, uh, Sergio, Sergio Argonas and, uh, Mark Evaner. Fantastic. Yeah, no, that, yeah. that came up only last year on the podcast and I only found about it found out about it last year. Um, how, how did you come across it? Just a, a comic shop or, uh, there wasn't a comic shop in my town. So it was just no, on a course, rack yeah. at seven 11. We were, uh, we were just a big enough town that we had two seven 11s and one of the racks would for some reason get grew the wanderer. And it's just, 
first of all, you start off with Sergio Argonas's artwork. It's usually laugh out loud funny just on its own. And then Evaner is a fine, fine joke writer. So uh, the two of them together, just as a kid, I, I was endlessly tickled by it. That's fantastic. And so, yeah, no, so your, um, your uh, reading material was really kind of um, dictated by your local 7-Elevens and yep. like the manager or like, or like the head office or something. That exactly. distributed all of these things. As far as my access to comics went, it was, it all came down to two wire racks at two separate 7-Elevens. And you're right. There was probably a district it's manager really somewhere who was, uh, who was saying, yeah, send us more X-Men, send us less Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But thankfully, yeah, they, 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 they got grew the wanderer to you. See, yeah. so that was great. That's fantastic. Uh, now uh, changing gears a little yes. bit. Uh, what's the saddest comic that you've read? Oh, the saddest comic I've ever read. Um, well, it depends on, it depends on, because yeah. there, there's the story of the actual comic and then there's, the story of the creation of the comic. And I, I often find the the story of the person who created something and how it was done and why they were doing it to be, uh, to be uh, more as interesting or more interesting than the, uh, than the actual story. Um, I remember reading the death of Robin uh, when the Joker uh, beat Robin to death with a tire iron. I remember that being a major bummer. Um, yeah. I um <laughs> Yeah. Um, I also remember the the first thing that comes to mind on that is there was a run of Spider-Man in the 80s, in the mid 80s, called uh, The Death of, you know, sorry, it was uh, The Last Hunt of Craven, or Craven's Last Hunt, uh, colon, Fearful Symmetry. For years, I thought it was just called Fearful Symmetry. But um, in it, Craven uh, appears to have killed Spider-Man, buried him, and then decides to prove that he is superior to Spider-Man by becoming Spider-Man. And uh, I remember uh, they really put their foot down about what it was like for Mary Jane to, to just have Peter disappear. And that, uh, that always stuck with me as, as just being heart wrenching. Tiny man. And it's amazing how, how those stories stick with you. Yeah. Um, those moments, like when it does emotionally hit you, and like you can even almost relive that moment in your in your head. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, other people probably remember Spider Man, you know, crawling up out of a grave like some sort of zombie. But the the moment, the primary moment of that run for me is MJ has been essentially mourning for a week and a half. Then someone's about to mug her. Spider Man shows up, saves her, and she's like, you know, thinking Peter's back, and then it dawns on her that that's not peter in the suit and that, that is the most memorable moment of it for me oh man crazy and how old were you then that would be 85 so i'd have been about 14 right yeah so yeah prime time yeah. teenage just when i'm yeah. starting to understand that other people have feelings yes yeah yeah right amazing <laughs> fantastic well no, no, that's a that's a good um, a good story to help kind of solidify that as yeah. well. Um, kind of empathy and, and things like that. That's fantastic. Um, now, uh, changing gears once again, um, what's the scariest comic that you've read? Um, hmm. 
Well, um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind uh, isn't uh, isn't actually meant to be a scary comic, but there was a uh, there were a couple of collections of the works of a man named Fletcher Hanks that came out uh, a few years back. Uh, the first one was called "I Will Destroy All Civilized Planets," and he was this uh, he was this guy who uh, who uh, back in the late '30s he was like one of the first true one man band creators. He would come up with the idea four characters he created. He would write the entire thing, draw the entire thing, ink the entire thing, color the entire thing, and then just offer them for sale to, uh, to comic books. And, and his work is clearly the work of a diseased mind. And he really, <laughs> his stuff should not have been exposed to children, but, <laughs> but it was not for young eyes. No, not at all. I mean, if you if you get that first collection, the second collection was called "You'll Be Destroyed by Your Own by Your Own Evil Creation" or something like that. But the first oh, one, wow. yeah. yeah, yeah, he he was not. It was not light reading, but uh, is uh, is the he he wrote small stories. You know, he never wrote the full comic book. He wrote like the second story that went in the back of the comic book just before the Hostess Fruit Pies ad. And uh, always with the hostess fruit pies ad. Has anyone ever ever uh, answered one of these questions saying, you know, my favorite character is Twinkie the Kid? Has that ever happened? <laughs> no, no, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> but but really, these 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 three main characters were uh, were uh, Stardust the Space Wizard, who uh, would usually wait for the crime to be done and then would just take horrifying revenge on the person who committed the crime. Uh, (laughs) Fatoma, the goddess of the forest or goddess of the jungle, who actually a lot of people consider to be the first female superhero, but she's a beautiful white woman who lives in the jungle and uh, presides over a kingdom of uh, horrible racial stereotypes. Uh, It takes place in Africa. And uh, if yeah. someone comes in and jungle and uh, and threatens the people of the jungle, she turns into a flaming skull and uh, usually wow. usually wow. enacts a horrible revenge on them. There's a lot of I horrible revenge in Fletcher Hanks's work. <laughs> yeah, he's got a theme. And then the third one was a uh, big red Barkley or something like that. He's a he's a lumberjack who waits for uh, for people to come and illegally. Uh, cut lumber on his land, you know, cut down his trees. And then he just beats them to death with his fists. And, uh, these, these things were run in comic books for kids to read. And it is entirely just the product of one guy's imagination who sat in a drawing room and thought, this is appropriate. This is what I should be doing. (laughs) This is why they created the comics code. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) People think it's strange tales, but no, it's Stardust the Space Wizard. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, that's fantastic. But yeah, um, I mean, the the artwork is wild. Yes. Um, it, it feels psychedelic, like like it's psychedelic yep. before the 70s, yeah, which is nuts, right? Yeah, I mean, Stardust dresses like a clown. That is a clown costume, <laughs> only without the face makeup. Instead, he's got an oversized cone, uh, forehead. But what gets me about the artwork is that nothing's ever moving in the frames. Yeah. 
and yet it's all garishly violent. So somehow you always see the moment of silence, uh, moment of stillness just before or just after the horrific act of violence. Yeah, because say I'm seeing Stardust just on on one panel. He's literally crushed this guy's back. I mean, he's got his he, he's he's cut a hand on this guy's back. Like he's holding him like under by the ribcage, and he's clearly just crushed his ribcage. Yeah, like, yes. that that's pretty horrific. <laughs> yes, I mean, it is. You there's, know, there's, kids should not be looking at that. No. There's one where he gets the guy again after the crime has been committed and he made uses, he, he's always using particles and rays, by the way, the Fletcher Hanks had yeah. no sense of science, but he, he, he like used a ray to make the guy's body wither away till he looked like, like Modoc or looked like a Funko pop. And then he just pulled the body off. So it's just a head and Stardust <laughs> is holding this guy's head. Like it's a bowling yeah. ball. And the head says, what are you going to do with me? And Stardust says, plenty. That's his answer. Plenty. <laughs> it's just chilling. And this is this is, is a hero. Oh, my gosh. Insane. I love it. Everybody go check that out. That is, uh, <laughs> thank you, for, thank you for, uh, for making me aware of this, Scott. It's, oh. it's wonderful. <laughs> no it's problem. Just, uh, just, just remember that I'm not recommending it as the greatest comic ever written. I'm just saying yeah, no, that it is a no, fascinating no, character is study of one guy. Yes, definitely. Surely, surely somebody's working a documentary. <laughs> you would hope. Like, why? How did it come to be? I mean, amazing. Yeah, um, brilliant. Thank you. Uh, now, uh, moving on to my uh, favorite question, and that is, yes. what is your favorite cover? Ah, my favorite cover. Well, I mean, the first thing—the first thing that jumps to mind is, of course, the Dark Knight Returns. The you know, Batman silhouetted by the lightning bolt is. Just a great image. Um, also, also, the, I mean, the first the first cover that I remember really drawing me in and making me want to read the story is actually one of the first Star Wars comics that we got when I was a kid. The cover was uh, I, I actually looked this up because I, I suspected this question would come up, but it's mm-hmm. uh, Star Wars twenty two, and it of of Marvel's run of Star Wars. And it's Han Solo and Chewbacca. And bear in mind, I had not seen the movie at this point. All I knew was what I had seen from commercials and uh, and action figures. And it's Han Solo and Chewbacca floating in space, each holding a gun and a handheld shield. And uh, it's, it's Han Solo saying, there's no way around it, Chewie. You're going to have to kill me. And uh, <laughs> that got my attention as a kid. I, I was curious yeah, to see what would happen. Absolutely. No, that's, that is awesome. Um, I just managed to find it just now. Um, that is cool. Yeah, no, that's going to grab your attention, yeah, isn't it? You know, Han Solo is going to die. <laughs> yes, and you know they're floating around in space with no spacesuits, shooting each other with guns. You know? Yeah, that too. We'll just, we'll just sidestep that bit. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's an unimportant detail, Scott. <laughs> that's <laughs> is, the details are unimportant. You have done your homework. <laughs> Fantastic. Now that's a really good one. Brilliant. Uh, now, um, moving on to another of my favorite questions, and that is, what's mm-hmm. the most meaningful comic to you? I mean, it's hard to top the Watchmen. It's it's yeah. it's very hard to top the Watchmen. Um, yeah, yeah. I I I'm, I mean, 
I was just starting my career as a stand-up comic the first time I read The Killing Joke, which... Uh, yeah. which oh, well, uh, yeah, that's not ideal timing, is it? No, no. But <laughs> on the other hand, I could very much relate to, to it. I, yeah, I, could, right. I could very much see where the Joker was coming from. Because uh, <laughs> there were a few times during my comedy career that I very much wanted to become a homicidal maniac. But uh, <laughs> I never really had the gumption. <laughs> brilliant but uh yeah no, thankfully um that didn't happen and uh yeah, yeah. um watchman um was uh was your was a uh, influence um yeah. but um what what in particular about it um kind of draws you into the story and and, and gives it meaning to you well i i like i like that um i mean the way it takes heroes and points out to you how really non-heroic they are while they're actually still acting as heroes. I mean, you are rooting for Rorschach to achieve the goals Rorschach is trying to achieve. But you're, you're unless you're Ted Cruz, you're usually horrified by Rorschach. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you don't want to root for him when he's dumping a fryer, a fryer pan over a guy's head. But on the other hand, you understand why he's dumping the, the fryer pan over the guy's head. And you don't really feel sorry for the guy either. And, uh, you know, it 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 humanized uh, comic book super. I'm hardly the first person to say this, but it, it, mm-hmm. it humanized comic book superheroes it and Dark Knight Returns in a way that hadn't been done before, or at least I hadn't seen. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, it's it's such a, um, a landmark moment um, Mm -hmm. in, in, in comics. And I think that, that really um, obviously must've, you know, ignited so many people to, to think outside the box. Yes. When it comes to comics and graphic novels, Um, that, you know, um, they can be done differently in, in any way. Um, you can you can dream up um, yeah. so you know sky's the limit <laughs> and i mean you look at the dc comics pantheon and it's basically demigods you know they're, they're these perfect mm-hmm. beings uh, or at least they were up until that point i mean again getting back to the limited exposure i had had to comic books batman all i knew of batman i had gotten from either the adam west tv series the super friends or a few Batman comics from the old days of the when they'd be running across a giant typewriter, you know, and um, right. so so then when I, I read The Dark Knight Returns and oh my god, here's an actual three dimensional <laughs> character with flaws and you know, also I'd just like to point out with irritation that people my age who read The Dark Knight Returns had wanted to see some version of the beat up old Batman. May, every time they would announce they were doing a new movie, we would hope this time it'll be the beat up old Batman. By the time they finally got around to it, the guy they had playing the beat up old Batman was my age, and I will never forgive them for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's just unforgivable. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's it's a wonder that it didn't happen sooner, really. Yeah. Um, but I just I guess Hollywood wasn't ready. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, to try something like that, and they were too 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 busy making making deals with American Express and George yeah. Clooney. <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> I feel bad. I feel bad for George Clooney because he exactly. he himself was it's not just, bad. Yeah. It's just the movie no. around him was yeah. awful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
um it's uh it, it must it's a tough gig it's a tough yes. gig um because you know somebody asks you to play bruce wayne batman um and um yeah uh, you go yeah. for it and then in the script you have to kind of say these crazy lines <laughs> oh yeah. man but no it's, not, it's certainly not his fault yeah i imagine he had seen like the tim burton ones and there had been i think one schumacher before that but it had been more serious in tones when he signed on to it and then he gets the script and it's arnold schwarzenegger saying ice to meet you and he just had to think (laughs) what what have i done all the one-liners yeah yeah totally oh dear the 90s were fun (laughs) yes they Um, were oh dear (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yeah no uh moving on uh to our next question um and that is uh what's the most underrated comic that you've read hmm. um i read a book i read a series called agents of atlas that i don't know that it's underrated so much as just not very well known but um right i don't know if you're familiar with agents of atlas but it's a it's a it's a marvel series and uh, it is about the it's about Agent Jimmy Wu, who is now in the movies played by Randall Park. But in these, right. he's a younger man. And of course, because it's Marvel Comics, he's also a Kung Fu master. But he's still an agent mm-hmm. of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then he uh, he ends up uh, the leader of a team of us. Uh, there's a there's a whole Captain America time travel thing. Jimmy Woo was part of the team back in the fifties, but then it gets retconned. But anyway, he ends up the leader of a team of essentially retro 1950s superheroes operating today. So it's him. It's a uh, 1950s, you know, uh, Klaatu and Gort grade robot named M11. Uh, it is a uh, Venus. The goddess of love is one of the members of the team. Uh, <laughs> You've got uh, Submariner's uh, female cousin, Namora. <laughs> That's very, that. very imaginative. Exactly. Marvel Boy, who by this point is a full-grown man, but they still call him Marvel Boy. And my favorite, <laughs> Gorilla Man, who is either a gorilla who acts like a man or a man who looks like a gorilla. It's up to you to really decide what you want to think of. But uh, but they they are this team, and then they end up posing as an evil organization. Uh, basically, uh, basically uh, Jimmy Woo ends up uh, taking over the evil organization that used to be uh, their, uh, their arch nemesis. So it's, it's as if S.H.I.E.L.D. started masquerading as Hydra, but on a much smaller scale. Wow. But I mean, you end up, if I ever get a complex tattoo, it's going to be an image from the first issue of Agents of Atlas, and it is a 1950s grade science fiction robot running down a hall, carrying a full grown gorilla over its head. And the gorilla has machine guns in both hands and both feet and is firing them. Amazing. That is, it. it is just one that of is, the best images ever. That is great. That would look, look great as a full back tattoo. <laughs> yes, it would. You know. <laughs> You'd be rocking the beach. <laughs> yes. You know? would know what to make of me. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to mess with that guy. Definitely. <laughs> just, he's, he's either totally crazy or, you know. <laughs> yes. <I don't> know. <laughs> but no, that is fantastic. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I love obscure um, 
Marvel comics. There's a there's a really good documentary um, on Disney Plus, uh, the Marvel Six One Six one, which is really good. And um, uh, oh gosh, I forget the comedian's name, um, but he uh, is basically kind of the narrator stroke presenter for, for, for the documentary series. Um, and, in, and in one of the episodes, he finds this obscure Marvel property uh, that was just like a, it was a team. Um, and uh, yeah, he tried to revive it, uh, but mm. it was like these, um, these animal robots. Mm. Um, oh, what is it? That's going to, Batty. I will definitely check this out. This sounds up my yeah. alley. I think it's Simon Furman. Is it Half Worlders? Brute Force. Brute Force. Hey, brute Force. There we go. Fantastic. We found it, everybody. Um, <laughs> sorry for that interlude. Um, but so, yeah, no, so Brute Force, right? Um, so you've got this rope like a he's got a bionic suit hello like a robot suit is a do, there's a dolphin with a robot suit right? <laughs> is it yeah exactly there's a kangaroo on like a scooter type thing um there's a lion that just kind of has like a mech type suit and the same same with the bear but the bear's like really kind of like integrated into this crazy mech suit that's that's on four wheels even though it's like a in a tower shape which feels like that'd fall over like really easily, but you know yeah. <laughs> it's just totally wild. But anyway, it was a limited series. It was like a four issue run thing, and in this episode, uh, Paul Shear tries to like bring it back to life um, mm. and things like that. He just does it in a really funny way. It's really funny. <laughs> I, I love I love back when I mean it's part of what I like about the Fletcher Hanks books. I like back when they could get away with anything. Back before comics were anyone was really paying attention. Uh, yeah. DC had a bunch of heroes like Matter Eater Lad that uh, <laughs> I just love. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever searched the phrase Matter Eater Lad, but that's uh, one of the not. best Google image searches you can possibly do. So say that again. Sorry, Scott. Let's do it right now. What is matter it? Eater matter Lad. Eater. He, he's a lad who eats matter. Matter. Yeah, of course. Amazing. Oh, yeah. The, he, straight away, he's eating a fence. <laughs> yep. That's always Bingo. the first image that comes up, him <laughs> eating his way through a fence. But uh, I've, oh, I've, then, he, then he's eating a hat. Um, yep. People would pull a gun on him and he'd eat their gun. It's, it's, it's exactly <laughs> what he did. Oh, here he's eating a tunnel. He's making yep. a tunnel because he can just eat anything. <laughs> that's that's the one i want them to bring back but uh yeah absolutely that is brilliant yeah definitely well maybe 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 you're the guy to bring it back (laughs) you you, you should pitch dc and see if they're up for bringing it back bringing it back will you will you hand over the keys to this valuable franchise to me (laughs) exactly it's it's gonna be your swamp thing yeah well i (laughs) mean I I don't know if you've seen the uh, the second Suicide Squad movie, but Arm Fall Off Boy, uh, they yes. they renamed him TDK, but that was a character who was a contemporary of Matter Eater Lad, who was called Arms Fall Off Boy, and he was a boy whose arms would fall off. Oh my gosh, they were just crazy, weren't they, back in the day? Yep, um, just going for it. 
but uh, it, you know, it, it, it's good entertainment. You know, yes, that's <laughs> how crazy it is. <laughs> Love Full it. Full credits for imagination. Hundred percent, man. Hundred uh, percent. Now, um, going back to our uh, robot overlord, um, and they got two more questions for you. Yes. Um, what comic would you recommend to a friend who's never read comics? Well, I actually did once recommend the Watchmen to someone who had never read a, a comic. And uh, right. just because they, they had tried to claim it. We, we had had a discussion about, you know, they, they seemed shocked that I thought that comics could be a legitimate art form. So I handed them a copy of the Watchmen. Right. And they, they later did tell me that it was one of their favorite things they had ever read which surprised me because, you know, right. I thought they would enjoy it, but I didn't think they would enjoy it that much. I was delighted, but yeah. sort of surprised. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, there's that. I mean, I hate to keep coming back to it or dark Knight returns. I feel like I have, I feel like I have a very uh, shallow bench here, but, uh, no, 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 yeah. At all. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard it to do is. better. Absolutely. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I would. Just get... Yeah. Go on. No, I was, I was just going to say I would hand them Dark Knight Returns and then try to. I enjoyed Dark Knight Strikes Again and Dark Knight versus the uh, the Master Race, I think it was. Unfortunate title. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed those, but I, I would probably not uh, not let them know that those exist unless they really ask. You know, I would have them stick with the Dark Knight Returns. It's it's so hard to ever get back to the quality level of something like that. That you know, he was just inviting negative comparisons by doing sequels. Said the man who wrote a series of six books. <laughs> but I guess did you did you have that at the start? The like the six books when you started? No, no, I did not. I mean, I had ideas. It was just the one. Yeah. yeah, I had ideas for where it might go, but I, mm. you know, I had no, I was so lucky with that first book. I'm I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the work I did on it, but I also mm. lucked out. I got very lucky, got picked up by a very good publisher that then, you know, gave me enough rope to write, you know, two more books. And then a second publisher came in and, and wanted the, the next three. And I was able to really flesh things out in a way that I never thought I would have the opportunity to. Yeah. And I mean, you say lucky, I mean, it's a fantastic book. So, um, you're, you're very talented, Scott. So that helps. Well, (laughs) thank you. But, but talent is not enough. I I have known plenty of talented people. You do need the opportunity as well, don't you? Yep. Yep. There is such a thing as the breaks. And if they are against you, I, I, I know some, people who are far more talented than I am who have not had the luck I have. So I, I've got to remain grateful for that. Oh, fair play. Fair play. And uh, now moving on to our last question. Um, yes. And that is if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Well, getting back, uh, this is going to stray a little bit from the uh, guidelines, but this gets back into my connection with comics. If I can only bring one book, one comics book, uh, I would bring the complete Calvin and Hobbes, which I don't know if you got Calvin and Hobbes uh, in the UK. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. We yeah. did. Uh, not not to the extent, but yeah, uh, yeah it's hanging around. Well, 
<laughs> it's it's arguably one of the best comic strips ever created. Uh, but yeah. also, I would take that book because it's this massive three volume box set of every Calvin and Hobbes comic ever created, uh, printed on heavyweight stock, and the color images are are like like super high end printing, and the whole thing weighs twenty seven pounds. Whoa. And I would bring that a because it's an endless amount of entertainment. B, it's an example of what human beings are capable of. And C, just as an object, I could use it to create deadfall traps. I could club, club, you know, uh, attackers over the head with it. It would just be an excellent survival tool. A hundred percent. You'll have to come up with some strapping system. Yes. I mean, you could just, you could, I don't know, would it fit in a backpack? Uh, it would be, it would fill the entire backpack. Exactly. It would stretch the say. backpack out of shape, but yeah. it could fit. I would not want to be the one who carries that backpack, though. No, definitely not. So maybe a wheelbarrow would do the job. (laughs) I create a rudimentary hand truck for my book. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Or a dolphin in a robot suit. (laughs) Yes, Um, my book bearer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fantastic. When I'm Uh, when I'm a Mad Max warlord, I've got four guys who just wear leather thongs and hockey masks who carry a litter with my book on it. Why do people always go there? Like instantly, like everybody becomes like a BDSM star or something. I don't know. I know it says something about George Miller that that's what he assumes. Well, everyone's going to do this as soon as society (laughs) stops getting on us, man. Everyone's going to be wearing nothing but football pads and a g-string. Yeah, (laughs) that's all I ever want to do. That's right. I'd be wearing that right now if the studios weren't on my back. The producer frowns on it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, well, um, there's only one more question left, um, and that is what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take with you into the apocalypse as well as a complete collection of Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah, yes, well, Calvin and yeah. Hobbes. Um, uh, actually, uh, in in I think it was in one of my comics, I talked about how the uh, – the uh, if there's a, literally I have one that is how to survive the apocalypse, and uh, one guy has a gun, and the gun is the perfect tool to have in that situation because with the gun you can have other people do anything. You know, need a hole dug, yeah. use the gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Point it. Someone yeah. say dig a hole, the hole gets done. That's a very American answer, I understand, but uh, <laughs> sure. But, but, logically uh, speaking, that would be the way to go: is a gun and unlimited ammo. Exactly. Exactly, and yeah, no, it's it's really interesting in 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 that sense actually. Because I was I was actually looking it up, doing some research for a project, and um, I think there's there's like for every 100 people in the UK, there are five guns, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously, that's basically just probably the military and farmers, essentially, because yeah. farmers can have shotguns in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. And then uh, in America, it's like for every 100 people, there's 110 guns. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like, it's quite different. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah. If if aliens (laughs) came, if aliens landed in the United States, they would think the gun was the primary life form. Yeah, exactly. uh... (laughs) Exactly. It's like going to New Zealand and it's sheep. Like. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, because in, in, in New Zealand, fun fact, folks, um, 4 million people in New Zealand, 64 million sheep. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sheep. That is a lot of sheep. <laughs> crazy uh but no yes absolutely uh we can we can just uh have a gun placed on top of uh your your calvin and hobbs in your real in a wheelbarrow um, oh i'm sure bill waterson would be pleased i've got, I've got his life's work and a revolver that's what i say for the apocalypse Oh, oh dear. Oh dear. Oh, absolutely fantastic. Well, Scott Meyer, thank you so much for coming on the show. It truly has been an absolute pleasure. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, just thank you so much. The pleasure has been mine, man. I've had a very good time. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, you're welcome back anytime uh, whatsoever. Um, and uh, yeah, no, just best of, best wishes uh, for 2022. Hope that, um, you know, uh, all of your projects come to fruition. Have you got any projects that you can talk about? Actually? Well, ironically, I have a book out with uh, out being looked at by editors right now called Brute Force, which I'm, I'm endlessly <laughs> irritated with you. <laughs> you pointed out to me that someone thought of my title first. But uh, that is not a joke, by the way. <laughs> this but, is not a joke. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, absolutely true. Oh, my God. Uh, but, you know, legally things can have, you know, the same title. So, you know, Oh, yeah, the movie, of course. That's not a problem. The movie and the cartoon Arthur are very different. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just about. Yeah. I have, uh, I have a book that right now is an Audible original that's only available on Audible. But at the end of January, it's coming out as an ebook and uh, and in paper called Grand Theft Astro that I'm very proud of. It's a, um, it's next sort to of my, a, my list after the Vex generation. <laughs> ah, excellent. Excellent. Uh, and then I have finished uh, a, a, a fairly uh, late draft of the second authorities book, uh, which should hopefully be out by the end of the year fantastic brilliant sounds like you've got a busy year ahead i'm i'm trying yeah absolutely no that's brilliant um scott thank you again so much everybody go uh check out scott's work um on all of the platforms but best place to start is scottmayer.rocks um and uh yeah no um scott thank you so much and uh all the best for 2022 i was just gonna say thank you and and right back at you man thank you for having me Thanks again to Scott for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use. That's not only will let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Scott's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. (laughs) Bye for now.